You're listening to The Glimmercast, a podcast of the Glimmerglass Festival which takes you behind the music. My name is Charlotte Mascaloni. In our last episode, we spoke about our season opener, The Magic Flute, premiering the very next day after Flute is To the World, a concert of Broadway hits which tours the globe. The show was conceived at the height of the pandemic as a way to say, hey, we can't travel much now, but we'll travel with music. As more people get vaccinated and COVID restrictions loosen, the show has taken on a new energy of celebrating a return to our favorite places. So how do the history of opera and musical theater entwine? Yeah, so we think about musical theater as merging music, acting and stagecraft and dance, right? That's assistant dramaturg Nick Richardson. And Wagner tried this too, actually. You know, it's not so different from what he envisioned when he was thinking of Gesamtkunstwerk, which is a total work of art. So Wagner, too, wanted to merge the lyrics and the libretto with the music itself, so taking the text and music, merging them together, as well as using the different properties of the stage, you know, costuming and lighting and scenic design to tell one narrative. Mm. And musical theater is doing that, too, just some years later, <laughs> right? America's contribution to this whole genre of theater music was what we all call American musical theater. This is William Burden, a world-renowned tenor and one of our three artists in residence this season. It's just a different style. You know, it's Rodgers and Hammerstein, Kern, the great writers and contemporary writers of American musical theater were the Verdi's and Puccini's and Mozart's and Handel's of their day. And Europe recognizes that. In Europe, opera houses do musical theater regularly. It's pretty great. Think about the influence of the English stage and English operetta, right? Thinking about Gilbert and Sullivan. Some people say Pinafore is really the first integrated musical before Oklahoma, before mm-hmm. Showboat even. But I also think about traditions from the operetta like Patter songs, mm-hmm. which are still a common trope in musicals today. But musicals are also coming from vaudeville and variety performances, which were common in Britain too, and sort of imported into America. So we have all of these little vignettes together. You know, we're going to have a song inserted here, and we're going to have a dance number that really doesn't have anything to do with anything here. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, that's kind of the state of the American stage before we start thinking about telling one grand story, one narrative across the entire evening. So in many ways, opera and musical theater continue to influence each other in a swirling, whirling, symbiotic relationship. Think about La Boheme, which inspired the hit musical Rent. For those singers who are versed in both, how do they navigate the two forms? As a teacher, I require all of my students to explore all of the musical genres. And for me, from a technical standpoint, it's about changing musical style, not about the way they sing. Mm, mm. So I approach musical theater the same way that I approach opera with the kind of understanding and appreciation of a musical style that I wanna make sure I can impart. It's more that the style is different in itself and so it just requires you to make a different sound, but the technique doesn't really change, (laughs) at least for me. And that's Aaron Crouch, a tenor and a young artist who you might recognize from his role as the son in the 2019 world premiere of Janine Tesori and Taswell Thompson's Blue. I believe that the role of musical theater in the life of a young artist kind of is there to give us the opportunity to stretch our legs out in other types of music because I feel like we can kind of get pigeonholed 
into just that one style of singing very classical standard opera. Just for me, I started out singing gospel music. And so singing musical theater really gives me the opportunity to kind of go back to my roots. I believe that my gospel background really helps me to sing a lot of the florid repertoire. Like if there was a lot of coloratura and things like that, the gospel that I grew up singing, I feel like the runs that I was required to do while I was singing gospel is much more difficult than anything I've had to do in Rossini and Mozart. So <laughs> so when you hear the great singers of musical theater from, say, the 40s and 50s and 60s, before there was amplification in the theaters, they had to have the kind of technique that classically trained actors and singers have because we have to learn to use our body as a resonating instrument for our sound. And it's one of the most wonderful aspects of musical theater at Glimmerglass, because Francesca has taken great pains to do great musical theater pieces in their original form with full orchestra, but unamplified. Now I recognize that this summer, because of the uniqueness of the venue, there will be some amplification of the sound, but we will still project our voices in the same way we would if we were in the Alice Bush Opera House. When you, you yourself as a performer, do these cabaret shows where you're changing characters very quickly, how does that live in your body? It's a little bit like doing a song recital, right? Mm -hmm. Or a leader abent. And the poetry is what dictates the character and the expression of text and the communication that is paramount. Those emotions can change on a dime. It's the way we live. It takes the capacity to think through the complete poem and recognizing that we are fully capable of expressing all the range of emotion within that. I have always found that the most important aspect of live performance is the constant interaction between audience and stage. That connection, live connection from my instrument to their sternum, and you know, they get to feel the vibration in their bones. That is a relationship that only exists in live performance. I'm actually very excited uh, to really get into it because I know that all of these pieces are staple pieces like Pippin and Fiddler on the Roof and Hello Dolly. And some things are just really silly. Like one of my pieces I'm just excited about being in New York. After all, the whole pandemic, does singing about being excited to be in New York feel different? <laughs> <laughs> singing about being excited to be in New York feels different because I don't like New York. <laughs> so... <laughs> Any song that has to do with singing the praises of New York is going to be active. Uh, <laughs> maybe we got to change it to being about like New York State, upstate. <laughs> right. What is the role of musical theater in a young opera singer's career? You know, if you watch this fantastic new film version of In the Heights, these are unbelievable performers whose whole sense of the projection of their text and their character and the energy that they need to have is operatic in scope, yes. without yes. question. So we are now really blurring these lines in a huge way. And so it's a requirement. You know, my students at both Juilliard and Manus need to have a monologue. They need to have 
a classical musical theater piece. They need to have a contemporary musical theater piece in addition to standard concert repertoire and standard operatic repertoire. We are training complete 21st century performing artists today. So Mr. Richardson and I were talking about all of this, technique, history, where musical theater takes place, and he brought up the role of community in the life of musical theater. And the more we talked, the more I realized the ways I value musical theater began as early as middle and high school, late nights after tech week at the local diner, stuffing fries in our face and probably being the waitstaff's least favorite table. I think there's a lot of Twitter jokes about Denny's. Anyways, you get the point. For many in the United States, musical theater is the soundtrack for their childhood. This book just came out by Stacey Wolfe, who is a musicologist and feminist scholar at Princeton. It's called Beyond Broadway. I believe it was published last year. And she's been working on this ethnographic project, specifically looking at amateur productions of musical theater. And she argues that the lifeblood of musical theater, the people and the places that keep it alive, really are outside of New York and Broadway. And really located in these amateur productions that are done in schools, in churches, community centers, community theaters, that it's those productions and those people that keep the musical, the American musical alive and going, which I think is really exciting. And there's nothing more community-based than taking classics, mixing them up, and bringing them back to the people. In his free time during the pandemic, Mr. Crouch began a YouTube series called What the Fuck? That's F-A-C-H, a German term which categorizes different voice types. Not whatever else you thought I said. I don't find myself listening to a lot of men when I'm just listening for fun. Mm. Like, if I'm just listening to opera for fun, I'm probably going to listen to a soprano or a mezzo. And I found myself going into the basement after listening to it and trying to sing the high note <laughs> that they sang or the coloratura passage they sang, but in my octave. And then once I found myself singing through all of, like, Comescolio and Sempre Libera just for fun. So as that started to progress, I started to send videos to my close friends being like, hey, like, look at this dumb thing that I've been doing. When the pandemic started, I was still doing that and I was actually making longer videos of like the entire arias and sending them to my friends and be like, ha ha ha. And it kind of started to not turn into a, a joke because my soprano friends would respond to me like, wait, but why are you singing this like, well? Like, I don't think that's the point of this. Like, why are you singing this like relatively like well? And I was like, you think? And they were like, yeah. And, and having those mixed reactions of like some people thinking that like this singing is impressive and that's awesome. And then some people being like, okay, this is just extremely entertaining. I was like, hey, right. I think this could be a really cool YouTube series. And it really did start out as I just want to bring something entertaining to the table for people who are sitting at home and missing opera. But then a lot of the reactions to it were not really what I was going for, which was like, Oh, Aaron, that's so amazing. You're challenging gender norms in the opera community and you're saying that anyone should be able to sing whatever they want to sing. And I was like, no, but yes. Like, like that is not what I was trying to do. But yeah, I totally think that 100%. And I actually did go on to do a virtual performance of Elvira in Don Giovanni. And if after all that, you're still not convinced to join us, I'll leave it to Mr. Burden, Mr. Crouch and Mr. Richardson to bring us on home. The way this show has been put together is that sense of gathering, emotional gathering, physical gathering. And I think it's absolutely what we've all been just pining for. I'm so excited to be around a bunch of other young artists who are just excited to get back to work as I am. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to get back on track. I'm so excited for this season at Glimmerglass. I really, truly am so honored to be back. And I hope everybody enjoys this really special summer season. Glimmerglass. Thank you so much for listening to the Glimmercast. Once again, my name is Charlotte Mascaloni, and I'm your host, editor, and producer. Our audio engineer is Joel Moraine. Our dramaturg is Kelly Rourke. Our director of communications is Brittany LaSavoy, and our communications associate is Makai Eastman. Our theme music is produced by Elijah Sokolow, and our graphic design is by Kate Ale. And now, special thanks not only to the Glimmerglass office dogs, but also all Glimmerglass furry friends. Maverick, Blue, Maggie, Rome, Pepper, Stevie, and... Willow, Dolly, Marlo, and Zella, Sylvie, Rue, Tilly, Millie, Artemis, and Apollo, Shoe, Bob, and the newly born yet currently unnamed communications kitten. Woo! <laughs> to book your tickets for To the World, running July 16th to August 8th, visit www.glimmerglass.org or call our box office at 607-547-2255. Remember to follow the Glimmerglass Festival on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube.